This is the Danger Close Podcast, Beyond the Books, with me, Jack Carr. Welcome to the Danger Close Podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Six Hour. My guest today is the legendary Kyle Lamb. Dear friend, one of my favorite people, we recorded this in January of 2020 at SHOT Show in the Sig Sauer booth, and we also zipped off and did a Veterans React with Black Rifle Coffee, and we watched movies like First Blood, The Delta Force, Navy SEALs, Under Siege, The Revenant, so you can check that out on YouTube and type in Jack Carr, Kyle Lamb, Veterans React. That should pop right up. Uh, I've been using Kyle's slings, VTAC slings, for a long time, well before we knew each other personally. So they're on all my ARs. Uh, go to vikingtactics.com, check out his slings, knives, sights, everything he has going on. You can link to from there, including his podcast, Team VTAC Podcast. And this was a dual cast. So we recorded it. He put it out on his, although he put his out in uh, the spring of 2020. And now it's going up on Danger close, but we'll do another one of these soon as well to, uh, to catch up. Uh, you can also go to coffeeordie.com. Check that out. Go to the search bar, put in Kyle Lamb, and you can read a few interesting things about him there to include the fact that he just received the silver star for actions in Mogadishu all those years ago. Of course, made famous by Blackhawk down. Uh, he is the author of Leadership in the Shadows, Green Eyes and Black Rifles, Stay in the Fight. Just an awesome guy. So uh, enjoy this podcast and we will for sure be doing another one soon. So now without further ado, the legendary Kyle Lamb. All right, folks, welcome to the Team VTAC podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Lamb. And I am your other host, Jack Carr from the Beyond the Books podcast with Jack Carr. Okay. Danger Close. Hey, bro, this is this is my podcast. What? what What are you trying to, are you trying to pirate my podcast? Well, I just thought it'd be a good opportunity to, to introduce people to, uh, <laughs> to, my, to my new podcast. All right. And there's no better person that I would rather do this with than you. No, actually, we, uh, Jack and I are good friends and uh, former Navy dude, therefore the pirate kind of fits, kind <laughs> of fits point. that whole thing. Good point. And uh, I'll tell you, man, as an author... Okay, you, when you gave me the first book, we were at SHOT Show, yep. and I'm like, so who are you again? And you're like, well, I'm buddies with this guy, and I'm like, okay, then later we, we sat down and talked at the range a little bit more, and you go, oh, I'll give you a book, and I'm like, this guy's a nice dude, I like him, but <laughs> man, these fiction books are really not my thing. So you gave me Terminal List, which we have laying in front of us That's here. That's it. Yep. And uh, Bam. I got in the plane to fly back to Nashville. I couldn't put it down. So awesome. Yeah, so, so tell me how this kind of came about. Thank you. So, well, with us, I also had to throw out there that I knew Brad Thor, because I knew yeah, you yeah, knew yeah, him. Yeah, so yeah, I had to throw yeah. out yep. that out there yep. to kind of legitimize things a little bit so you know I wasn't he's just a, a crazy gr- person. He's a great guy. <laughs> so nice. Great guy. So nice. Yeah, so he's been yeah. so great to me, and really, he's the reason that I'm here today. Uh, because the two things I wanted to do in my life were one, serve my country in uniform, specifically as a SEAL, and then to eventually write fiction, because as I was growing up, a lot of what I learned about SEALs, special operations, CIA special activities came from the pages of fictional thrillers by yeah, guys yeah. like David Morrell, Nelson DeMille, Tom Clancy, A.J. Quinnell, J.C. Pollock, these guys that had protagonists with backgrounds I wanted to have in real life one day. So 
it was kind of a dual fold. I was reading them because yeah, I enjoyed them. I love these stories. My mom was a librarian. I grew up with this love of reading. And then also, I wanted to have the backgrounds that these guys in, this, in the pages of these novels had one day. So yeah, yeah. as I was getting out of the military, it was time to give it a shot. And the Terminal List was, uh, was the first one. It was very obvious to me when I wrote down about six, seven, eight different ideas that the Terminal List, that theme of revenge, uh, was the way to start, the way to introduce readers uh, to a new character named James Reese, because that theme of revenge is just something, it's, it's innate in all of us. It's just, it's there, it's, it comes from uh, talking around the campfire, yep. doing the oral tradition of storytelling, talking about the hunt, talking about uh, warfare, passing on those traditions and those stories and those lessons learned. Uh, orally around the campfire, and this is just a continuation of that. So uh, that was the first one, and it uh, seems to have really resonated with readers. So I want to go back. We talked about Brad Thor, and I, I'm going to give him a little bit more of an attaboy, and I'll tell you why I want to do that. Because in our business, in this tactical world, and by the way, if you're watching on video, you probably figured out we're at the 2020 Shot Show. 2020 Shot Show. Here in the crow's nest of, of Six Hour. They're yep. crushing it. They got the new cross rifle over here, which is awesome. They've got some other great products there. And uh, sometimes this industry is a little bit rough. Hmm. You know, there's a little bit of backbiting, there's a little bit, you know, confrontational, uh, trying to get ahead, whatever. <laughs> Brad Thor steps above all of that and he tries to lift other people up, which only makes him a better dude. Incredible. You know, so that's awesome. And that's one of the things too that where we've hit it off is you're super positive, um. which you know, normally, I mean, I hear the word Navy SEAL, and I'm like, man, I don't know about this bro here. But uh, Well, then you're like, well, what, what, which book did he write? What movie was he in? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And we get so, to do that later this week, too. We're going to get to go and do the Vets React oh, yeah. podcast. Black Rifle Coffee. And I think they have chosen a special movie that will give you plenty of ammunition uh, with which to make fun of me. Uh, so it'll be it'll be great. It may or may not have something to do with uh, so, <laughs> Navy SEALs. They asked me for what movies, mm -hmm. and I said... The Delta Force oh, with awesome. Chuck Norris because love it. it's 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 so I love that movie, fictitious <laughs> that it's it's crazy. I also said another very fictitious movie that I really like because I kind of fancy myself a mountain man is The Revenant. Yep. Great book. Yeah, a great book, great movie, but there's some fictitious there's like it. riding the horse, whatever. And then I said Rambo nice. because the first Rambo, I love that movie. First Blood. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that was great. I mean, I love the second one. They came yeah. out at a time where I was very, uh, uh, very impactful to me as a, as a kid growing up. And, you know, as Americans, we're always rooting for the underdog. And coming off Rocky and then moving into First Blood with Sylvester Stallone. And that, I think that introduced a lot of people to David Morrell's writing. And he didn't just write First Blood in 1972. He, he's written so many things over the years to include The Brotherhood of the Rose, Fraternity of the Stone, League of Night and Fog, a trilogy that came out in the mid-80s that uh, really changed the genre in a lot of ways. And, uh, what he did was really combine the best aspects of uh, British, UK, spy thrillers yeah. and with the US. So like essentially the Robert Ludlum with the Jean Le Carré and move, push those both together in a, to create essentially a new genre. No one's ever done that before and they're fantastic. Uh, the Day of the Jackal. Nice. Who, who's that? Uh, Day of the Jackal is Frederick Forsyth. Oh my goodness. So my buddy, Sean, you had yep. supper with we him last night. last night. Sean yep. Davis from The Federalist. Super good dude, by the way. Seems so great. Yeah, he's an awesome guy. So he said, hey, if, if you want to listen to a fiction book on tape, listen to one of these Frederick Forsyth. Nice. So I listened to a couple of them, and oh, my goodness. Great. And I, I enjoyed listening because the, the folks that are reading them are really good with what they're doing. But I like to, I, li I actually like the, a book I in too. my hand. Yeah, and, I and do, doing do. That. 
I think a lot of people today with these different platforms we have that weren't available to authors or people in this industry 20, 30 years ago, uh, people that like to engage via podcasts and on Instagram are the same people that like to listen to audiobooks. Yeah. I think there's a lot of overlap right well, there. Well, I, I started listening to more audiobooks because I, was, I realized I was listening to some podcasts that weren't making me a smarter person. Uh, so I wanted to listen to something different that you know, I want to get something out of this. Let's see what I get. And there's still some podcasts I listen to, constitutionally speaking. Oh, nice. I don't know those guys, but their podcast is good. You learn something. You know, they're kind of funny. They're kind of goofballs, yeah. but they, <laughs> they teach you something. But, yeah, the Frederick Forsyth stuff was... Well, who reads those? Because obviously those came out in the time before audiobooks, before ebooks, before any of that sort of thing. So I'll have to go back and see who they have narrating and, uh, and when they actually narrated those. So I want to check that books, out. I started to listen. I'm like, oh, this guy is pissing me off. <laughs> It might have ten been early on in the no, uh, audio. No, but 10 minutes into it, I couldn't stop. Oh, nice. At first, I'm like, he's kind of nice. obnoxious, you know, British accent. Yeah. And then I went, I love this guy. Oh, awesome. Just, am just amazing. Got so, past the accent. I, yeah, I, I definitely got past it. So, Speaking of accents, so have you, do you watch any, like, Netflix or Amazon Prime or any of those series uh, that they have I've, on I've there? I've seen some stuff. There's uh, Bodyguard uh, done by that. BBC. Have you heard of this, no, though? No, it's no, six, It's six parts. It's hard to get past the accents. They're, they're very uh, uh, distinct, and uh, <laughs> you definitely maybe put the subtitles on, but it's fantastic. Six uh, episodes, it's absolutely amazing. So I, yeah, highly recommend uh, Bodyguard. We just finished that the other night. I but, watched uh, Turn. Have you seen that? No, it was good. Turn is a Revolutionary War kind of following. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to watch that, but I never got a chance. It was, yeah, too That's much going on. well worth checking out. The only thing, if, if I didn't know the ending, I would have been a nervous wreck. Uh, but when you know that America okay. wins in the end, it's... It's, <laughs> it's, it's not looking so good yeah, there for a while. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty good, it's, it's pretty good. So let's get back to your books. So and you, I want to ask you a couple questions, too, since, okay, this is, yeah, yeah. Uh, since this is also the Danger Close Beyond the Books with Jack Carr podcast, like well, we discussed. I, I understand <laughs> that, but I think you got out as an officer. I, well, and yeah. I was a sergeant major, so just uh, at ease in the harness. Good point. <laughs> good point. I'll stand hey, so, down. So, uh, and the other reason is I've been hit a lot in the head, and I don't want to. Now I've kind of like lost my train of thought here. Oh, we'll bring uh, you back. I, I got. I got you. Okay. Got go you. ahead. Go ahead. What, so let's talk about the VTAC sling. So you came up with that. Yep. And I decided to text you the other day because I was going to talk about it. As soon as I found out about it, it became my favorite sling. And what I not just what I used, but what most everyone in special operations used yep. when they found out about it. Yep. And I found out about it, I think, in 2007-ish, somewhere around there, uh, somewhere from one of the other units that gave one to me. And uh, then I gave it, started handing them out to people. And how did you come up with that? And when did you come up with that? Because I texted you to find out, and it was a lot earlier. It was. A lot yeah, so earlier I, I than 2007. Honest, yeah, I don't really, to be honest with you, I don't really remember the specifics about when that date was, but what had happened is we always had slings and your gun was you know, banging on your knees if you let it go. We had that adapter that came with the, the car 15. Okay. So it, was, it went around the buttstock, it had a, 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 a D-ring, okay. and then you hooked a regular like cotton sling to that. Oh, wow. And then that hooked up to that little thing that would jiggle on your front sight post. Okay. So I wanted to get away from that because every time you lowered the, you know, you let go of the gun to transition or to fast rope or to climb, banging guns around. banging everywhere. So we had a guy that I worked with, this guy Mike Foreman, and that's really the first guy that I saw do something similar. He had taken the top rucksack buckle, the little tiny buckle yeah. that you attach it to the frame with, and he, he had his shotgun rigged up, so if he wanted to loosen it up, you know, breaching shotgun, yep. he could loosen that, and then he could quickly cinch it back up nice. after he breached and go in and the shotgun wouldn't be dangling around. I'm like, man, that's a pretty good idea. And we all, it wasn't just me. There were several people involved that we, we sewed our own stuff, yep. or we, 
we broke enough equipment that the riggers would sew oh, what yeah. we wanted to sew. So you guys the, listening to this are like, what? Well, yeah, you had to yeah. make your own gear? Like, oh, how, yeah. old, how old are you guys? Like, yeah, that we was, did. it wasn't we made that our, old. We yeah. made our own stuff. I was not good at it, but there were guys that are, are very good at it, and our riggers were amazing dudes, and they let me make kind of what I wanted to make there. And I made a couple slings, and I started using them, and they were, they, they, this material was too soft, they would twist up, and the buckle, it was just not the right setup. But I made, I made several of them, and I was using them at three-gun matches and on my team, and the guys were like, yeah, that's pretty awesome. So I'm at a three-gun match, the guy's like, I want to buy one of those slings. Whoa, buy a sling. So make a long story, hopefully a little bit shorter, we took the other buckle, the quick adjust buckle mm -hmm. that is made to quickly go in and out. We put the friction resistant material, which is a little different than the original. Now we're back to the original material on some of our hybrids and upgrades okay. and well, not with our, upgrade, our hybrid slings. We went back to the original material made to go through that really? uh, Waterbury buckle, okay. made in America. Nice. And, uh, and that's kind of what you see now. There's other guys that have adjustment systems similar to us, but they put the sling the reverse way, so you got to pull back instead of pull forward. And what that does is if you're fast roping, you really can't do it without taking the weight off your gun. With ours, you don't have to touch the gun. You can pull it pull it tight, and you're good to go. And then you can release it and, and pull the release, and it's at full length, and you can get back in the fight. So I went to Paraclete at the time, and they made 100 slings for us. And, uh, I remember Paraclete. They're around where you were, right? They're yeah, 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 Carolina. right there. Yeah. And I knew, they did a uh, uniform for me for 2006. I okay. wore it the whole time in, uh, in Ramadi in 2006. So Neil Ivory, who was part of that, he was uh, working there and a friend of mine. I ended up becoming buddies with his brother, Glenn Ivory. So he says, uh, I, got, I got a quote. I'm going to make 100 of these slings. I showed up and he goes, yeah, I made 200. I'm like, no. He goes, no, you only got to buy 100. But when you sell the first 100, we got another 100 weight. And I thought, oh, my goodness. So I come home. My right. wife's like, you bought what? A uh, 100 dog leashes? You know yeah, what I mean? Right. Or as my buddies say, the gerbil leash. <laughs> so it took us a while to sell that first 100. And then things started to, to move a little bit faster, and, and now we sell a lot of slings. But that's kind of the – I wanted something that I could take my gun on and off easily. Uh, Three-point slings, we had those on our MP5s. That tells yep. you how oh, yeah. antiquated we were. Antiquated, like, C-cell batteries in a, in a light tape to the side of your – it was just I ridiculous. Or, or hose clamp. And uh, a three-point sling is probably the – most useless sling out there. The only <laughs> one that comes close is the single point because it flops everywhere or whatever. Yeah. And if you're doing real tactical stuff, you can't have a single point or a three point because you're going to have to go left shoulder, right shoulder, sling your weapon, put hands on people, carry your buddy. I mean, there are just so many things. And if you're a sniper, we make a sniper sling that's very similar to what we have, but it, it's quick detach and it's got a, a D-ring in the middle that you can hook up to an armband or, or a cuff, or you can put that on your belt. There's just a lot of nice. a lot of things there. So it's kind of a long story. It was game-changing. Yeah, I mean, that's where, where yeah. that came from. And, you know, and that's one of the things that we've tried to do in this industry is I don't want to be a me-too person. And uh, so far, most of the products we've come up with have been kind of a specialized something that nobody really seen yeah. and it used to bother me when people would copy our stuff and now I'm like oh wow we got that right because look yeah. these guys are great. you know copying it and that's the best I way called to look the company the other day and I said hey we we're looking to see if you'd make some belts for us and they said we looked at your belt it's very much like one I made and I go yeah it's it's, <laughs> it's a very good copy of what we made initially and anyway it's it's a fun it's yeah. it's a fun environment and uh 
it's fun to innovate and try to come up with oh, new yeah. ideas. I mean, just imagine like how many people, you, and I think we, I found out about it because we had guys from our, one of our units that uh, did some stuff with you guys and actually deployed yeah. with yep. you guys. And I'm pretty sure that that's where I got the slinger. That's where they learned about it was by doing those deployments in conjunction with you guys uh, embedded essentially. And then they came back and they shared, shared some tactics, shared some gear, that sort of thing. And I thought it was great at the, at the tactical level um, for the guys to be able to do that and exchange ideas and make some friendships and all that sort of thing. Uh, but uh, I think that's where we got it from. And then I started showing people when I got mine. And of course you must have found out that, hey, SEALs are using this now, I need to make a padded one. Because then the padded one came. Because <laughs> the padded one hey, came out. That was amazing. Yeah, there's more the to that one. story. So we actually we got contacted by is it London Bridge? Yep. I think they contacted us and they're like, "Yeah, we want to make your slings." We're like, "Well, we're we're good right now." And they go, "Well, these these guys that are up right. in Virginia Beach," and I'm like, "Oh yeah, yeah." Dev group guys are like, "Whoa, whoa, don't say that," you know. And they go, uh, "We they want your sling, but they want to have AOR one. I think is the, the yep. material." And our manufacturer wasn't authorized because it's a classified, whatever. Right. So they were buying slings from us and then they were slowing, sewing the pad on after the fact, which was fine. And of course, those were the slings that were used on all these big famous hits that have happened. That's our sling that was, was holding the HK416s that did the dirty work. Yeah. Um, and now London Bridge has moved on. They're like, hey, we're just going to copy it. So they copy <laughs> them and they make them. And I hope some people will just say, hey, screw you. Let's come to the original manufacturer. Yeah. But I think you people know, know where it, most people know where that oh, thing yeah, came yeah, from. Yeah. And people talk about it. And of course, certainly I do. And um, yeah, that's, the, that's still the go-to sling. And that's still be, always be mine. My question now for you. Uh-oh. So you were, you got out as, what was your rank? 04. Okay. So uh, major for everybody else, lieutenant commander for the Navy. Yeah, so that always screwed last, me up. You <laughs> it's know, so confusing. Army and the Navy got it all jacked up. Uh, a captain in the Army is an 03, and in, in Navy it's an 06. It can be confusing. Yep. So we're talking to these guys, and they're like, I'm a captain. And you're like, oh, psh. Oh, hey, bro, go yeah, pick up this. Exactly. Go pick up Take the trash, the garbage, or, yeah. you know? Uh -huh. And they're like, slow like, your roll <laughs> there. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. So yep. one of the things about your books, and we've talked about this, there's good and bad no matter what you do. If I was you, I'm going to give you some advice. Yes, I'm going to write it down. If you impress me, because I'm, I'm like you, I think you're doing the right thing. Because when I read your books, I love, I love the detail. And one of the things we've talked about is sometimes you have too much detail and some people are like, hey, just get on with the story. Don't listen to those people. Right. Don't listen All to right. them. The books are awesome. When I, when I read about the cat, and I'm going to give away something here. The dude driving down the road, and he's got his, he built his hide sight, and he shoots him with his, basically a, a hunting rifle mm -hmm. in his car as he comes, oh my yeah. goodness, I couldn't, I couldn't, I'm getting goosebumps awesome. right now. Because I've wanted to do that. There's oh, people yeah. I've wanted to go out I and shoot. I think that's why you know? it resonates with people, because everybody <laughs> yeah. has someone yeah, they want to yeah, shoot. Yeah. Everyone has their list. <laughs> you know? So, have you ever done any of the master class stuff? Uh, the, no. The videos? So, I, I decided I would check that out. And I listened to a couple of the, the writers. Me too. And one of the things that resonated with me, and it wasn't, it wasn't all the writers, but the writers that I realized I enjoyed more, here's what they said, and, it, and this is what hit me, because I'm writing a fiction right now. Oh yeah, we'll probably I've read talk parts about of it, that. I love yeah. it. We'll probably talk about that a little bit, but they said, write what you want to read. Don't write a book so that other people are going to buy it. Yep. Write what you want to oh, absolutely. read. Absolutely. And that's some of the best advice that I've that I've ever heard from yep. a, a person that's in the writing world. 
man, I, I put away like, hey, I don't care what you think. The book I'm writing, there's a lot of detail. I mean, you're going to know what gun this guy's. Oh yeah. You're going to know what's going it's through important. his head and all that. And I think that's why. I mean, your book is just—they're yeah. amazing, man. I appreciate that. And I think for us, like when we see somebody out here on the floor at the range, just walking down the street, but what they're wearing, how they carry their pistol, what pistol they're carrying, what optic is on there, like all those things tell us something about that person without ever having a, a conversation with them. And same thing in these novels. I use these these weapons, these tools as character development tools so that uh, just the same way I would look at somebody and know a lot about them just by how they carry yeah, themselves yeah. and what gear they're using. Uh, same thing in the novel. So for somebody else that does the same, I think it, it resonates there. And then also, as just a, a lifelong fan of reading and of this genre in particular, that's how I approached this was I, I, I didn't just all of a sudden decide, well, I'm going to write this book. Uh, I better go back and read some of the history and read some of these guys in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s that got the genre where it is today. I'd already done all that. Like I grew up yeah, doing all yeah. that, so I had this foundation. I knew what I liked, I knew what I didn't like, and I'm not gonna write something that I don't like to read, but with this foundation that I had from just growing up reading and, and essentially studying the art of storytelling through these guys that were essentially my professors, uh, I got to write a novel that I wanted to read. Uh, and that's exactly what and I did. And there's a bunch of us like reading it, so that's, awesome. you've, you've hit a home run with that. <laughs> uh, I read a book by Stephen King on writing. Yep. Great one. And I, I got a lot of, I got a lot in my brain from that. And I think that I've tried to take what he says about reducing the number of words so it's easier to read, but you still have to have, to me, the description. And, and one guy that I've been reading lately is C.S. Lewis. Okay. And with C.S. Lewis, and this sounds goofy, but the Narnia Chronicles are amazing yeah. because it's so clear and concise. And when you read it, you're instantly, you picture it, you're there, you know what it feels and looks and tastes yeah. and smells and all that. And that's what I've tried to do too. Like one of the one of the gals that get, gets abducted in my book, she gets abducted right across the street from where we're at right now in Treasure nice. Island by a Somali. Yeah. And uh, I don't want to give away the book, but uh, for some reason I have, a, I have a soft spot in my heart for Somalis. And uh, I've always wanted to give back to those people. Understood. And we're going to give back some, Understood. some lead. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and that's another thing. I like in the book, I can use lead bullets. The Californians <laughs> can't tell me that I got to use monolithics. Well, a giant condor might come down and eat, eat, you know, start eating something and get a little piece oh, of that yeah, in yeah. their system such and, a, then, and then such die. Such a bunch of crap, man. I, I, oh. <laughs> that's, that's one of my pet peeves right now. Two pet peeves. I think there might be more than two. Okay. Malcolm Gladwell's a pet peeve right now. I heard that last night, so I wasn't going to bring it up. Yeah, he's, I, he's, he's become one of my uh -oh. favorite people. He loves the genre, by the way, though. He loves reading thrillers. Good. I hope he reads my book and then he sees that I believe, I read the Bible and I read what David did to Goliath and I don't see a kid that uh, was picking on a giant. I see a kid that had the grace of God nice. went out there, killed a giant when nobody else would go on the battlefield. Bro, that's what so you that's did. That, so it's that particular book of well, his. Well, no, there's, that... there's other things, but I, I guess my point is you're, you're trying to twist a story. I don't, I don't know why, but Goliath was a seasoned warrior and this kid, who was a shepherd boy, went on the battlefield and killed him. And you're going to twist that to where now Goliath is this poor, innocent bystander who had giantosis and somebody had to carry his shield. Hey, bro, read history. There were shield bearers, and this guy was a Philistine, and they loved to kiss, kill Israelites. Anyway, 
That's just one thing. I think that's yeah. the one Malcolm Gladwell I have not read. Is David well, the Wyatt. other one that I just I listened to it on tape because my buddy said I should should do that, and it was the um, Blink Tipping Point. No, it was the last one. Uh, talking the, to strangers. Okay. And what I got out of that was there was music that went throughout, and I'm like that music's kind of obnoxious. It was kind of like a tribal thing, and then he he talked through the entire book about how all these cops are racist and cops are bad and cops killed this lady. She went, she got rolled up. She had a bunch of fines and they put her in jail and she hung herself. So therefore the cop, this racist cop killed her. And at the very end, the whole, they played the whole song and it is an anti-cop song. And I'm going, I'm sorry, but my friends are cops. My friends are military people. And when you got up in the morning in Iraq or Afghanistan, you didn't look in the mirror and say, all right, I'm Jack Carr. Today I'm going to go kill some kids. You said, hey, today I'm going to go out and do what I can to change people's lives. If they're a bad guy, let's go you know, capture or kill. If they're a good guy, let's help them out. These cops aren't getting up in the morning, and, and they're, they're given a sandwich every day to eat, and it ain't made it's out tough. of peanut butter. Oh, my gosh. You know what I'm saying? I can't imagine so doing that job. When you attack my friends, yep. you're attacking me. And, and I would say with that book, that that was very offensive to me and yeah. I don't want to give that guy more time but I guess what I'm saying is if I don't agree with you that doesn't mean I'm not going to read your books yeah. but it does mean that I probably am not going to you know I'm not going to go hang out with the bro you know <laughs> you Brad Thor Brad Taylor another Amazing. friend of ours yep. very Great good guy. guy I just re- finished reading one of his books uh, yep Hunter Killer I, the new one yeah yeah Hunter yep. Killer yeah yeah I think it just came out yep. just, just came a out. week or so ago but uh it's fun, man. One, it's fun to know you guys, but it's it's with your books, especially. It's so awesome to be able to see that equipment and go. I know exactly what you're talking about. And anyway, we kind of come yep. no, around there. I love it. You, well, you know another story that's been uh, kind of, uh, I guess, well, messed up over time and twisted is uh, the story of Robin Hood. People today, you ask a kid, like, oh, he he uh, stole from the rich to give to the poor. That's that's the narrative. Well, that's not really what he did. Who did he steal from? He stole back taxes from the government that they had taken from the poor. So he stole, stole from the government back those taxes and redistributed them to the people the government had stolen that money from. That's the real story of Robin Hood. But today, if you ask anybody, oh, he took from the rich to give to the poor. Dude, that's that is awesome. not the story. That, so I, I can, I'm going to make a T-shirt. It's a good one. And uh, I didn't come up with that myself. Uh, Ayn Rand talks about that at the end of Atlas Shrugged. So for those of you who have not read Atlas Shrugged or The Fountainhead, I highly recommend those. Those are should be mandatory reading. I don't remember that in Atlas Shrugged. Yeah, at the end. You have to get yeah. all the way to the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it talks about how that tale has been twisted over time. And so it's very true. let's talk about Ayn Rand. So she was, uh, she was Russian. Yep. And I think Amazing she wrote woman. that book in like 1953. So I think when the first one, Fountainhead, was in the 40s, late 40s, and then uh, really the kind of the magnum opus of horror, her yeah. theory of objective philosophy of objectivism was is really encompassed in the pages of Atlas Shrugged, the second and major I think that novel, was and that was in the 50s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So when you read that, I, I tried to. We've talked about this. I I picked that book up for years. It's a tough one to. Man, I got to read yeah. this because people always say you yeah. got to read this book. Right. I could not get through it, and then. A year ago, I picked it up. Actually, I had it on my iPad. I couldn't stop reading. Yeah. And now, there's some stuff I skimmed a little bit because there's some... There's some... some uh, speeches that go on for a oh, while. Oh, my goodness. There's, like a 65-page speech. Yeah, there's a lot by, of one. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. What's the guy that... What's the, the, I forget if it's by uh, John Galt or Hank Reardon. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, or, yeah, John Galt. Yeah, so yeah. I forget who... Yeah. I, I forget who's talking, but it's been a while since I read it. I need to revisit it. But when I read it, 
Gosh, I must have read it 20 some years ago, and it stuck with me. Uh, and I read Atlas Shrugged first, and then Fountainhead. So typically I, I ask people, it's, it's a, and she wrote it first, so it's uh, not as clearly defined, her theory isn't clearly defined in those pages, uh, but it's fantastic. And I always ask people if they say, oh, I love the Fountainhead, uh, not, I didn't like Atlas Shrugged as much. I asked them which they read first. And typically the one they read first is the one they like better. Uh, and I read Atlas Shrugged first and then Fountainhead, but they're both fantastic. Everyone should read them and spend that time. But today people don't spend that amount of time reading. Yeah, and I would say I don't, I like, I love the book. I don't, some of the message I don't like because I don't think it, you know, like in, in uh, Atlas Shrugged, I don't think it should be about all about you. Because if you are giving back, and I'm not saying giving back, giving back is not when somebody takes from you. Giving back is when you say, hey man, I'm gonna help you out. Hey, I'm gonna hire you, I'm gonna lift you up, I'm gonna do whatever. I'm all for yeah. that. What I don't like is the government's taking it, yeah. which is what Atlas Shrugged was about, and other people were, they were sucking at the teat of uh, oh, yeah. Hank Reardon, creating oh. all this stuff, and they were just trying to, and then when he finally laid down the law, like, peace out, and they're like, whoa, whoa, yeah. what are you doing? Why That's are you leaving it. us? It was amazing, oh, yeah. yeah. If you read that today, I'm sure it's very still poignant today, uh, oh, especially yeah. with everything that is going on. Uh, but And also, people can use it either as a doorstop or a weapon, because that thing is thick. Like, oh, that yeah, book is yeah. serious. So yeah. if you need to, yeah. you can whack somebody on the head with it or use it to keep open a heavy door. How many books do you read at a time? I typically like to stick with one at a time, sometimes two if one's non and one's fiction. Um, but typically I like to go one at a time, devote, my, devote myself to it, go all the way through it, and then switch gears. Um, but I have done a couple at a time, as long as they're yeah, distinctly different genres. I'm, a, I'm like all You're all over the place? Yeah, yeah. We well, got a lot going on. You got, you're writing fiction, you're writing nonfiction, you got your company, you're doing your teaching, you're doing all these, it's, it's amazing everything you have going on. Absolutely incredible. And I, that's because I have the same attention span as a squirrel. You, <laughs> you know? can zip around all these different things. <laughs> got it. <laughs> so, what other Understood. questions you got for me? Oh, I love the VTAX link. So, uh, Mogadishu, how long had you been uh, at your command when that went down? So, that happened mid uh, 93, the yep. big battle, October 3rd of 1993. I got to the unit in the fall of 91. Okay. So I'd been there for a year and a half, but I'd only been in, in squadron for a while because for a short time, because uh, when I went through our training, I broke my leg. Oh, you did? So I had to start. In the initial inselection? No, no, no. Oh, once no, you got? No, once I got there. Okay. So once I got there, I broke my leg. Um, brittle bones, you know, farm boy, didn't drink enough milk or whatever. No, nah, I don't know. 90 foot, uh, 90 foot rappel with, or not rappel, but a uh, fast, fast rope? rope with rucksacks. Oh, so I don't back, know why we did that. Yeah, it's oh. stupid. It's, it's completely stupid. Uh. And it was, it was really good. We had a, a guy named Dick Davis. And Dick Davis was a SAR major, one of the most respected guys then, still one of the most respected guys. He's a guy that you wouldn't want to fight. You wouldn't want to try to outthink. Mm. You wouldn't want to try to out, he just was, he's like, this amazing warrior and and what's sometimes we've looked at people from our past and we feel we've put them up on a pedestal and then once we start to realize what they really were we're mm. like maybe they were a little tarnished maybe they weren't exactly what we thought they were this guy when you look back in time he's even better wow and he said why are we doing this why are we doing so that? that's when we started lowering, lowering oh, rucks you know we hook all our rucks to the end of the fast rope which has the extraction loops on it and you can lower it because you're, you're dragging it on the side of a bird. And then you're not, you know, we come up with uh, 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 the guy, Mike Foreman, I talked about earlier. He came up with this, this Foreman device for distending the rucksacks okay. down the rope. That was nice. a guy that came up with that that worked with me. 
And uh, anyway, so I broke my leg, so I had to recover, oh. and then I started the next class, so I finished. It took me a year to get through that, which I guess I'm a slow learner, but my leg, I'm good now, so it's, nice. it's all good. Anyway, oh, so Mogadishu, we get there. Yeah. So you've been there for two years. You've been, uh, uh, so you hadn't deployed yet in that kind of a, no. there's nothing going on. We had flashpoints, you know, we had obviously Desert One, we had Grenada, we had Panama, and then we had Mogadishu. And well, so before that, though, was Desert Shield, Desert yeah. Storm. I was in 5th Special Forces group for that. Okay. I went over there. I was there for a, for half of a year. I didn't do anything significant. As, as we would say, NSTR. Nothing significant to report, yep. to report on that one. <laughs> it was great. It was awesome. I met some really good friends in 5th group. Great, great guys and, nice. and gals in 5th group. Uh, but then I went to the unit. And so Mogadishu was kind of my first real deal. Yeah. Yeah, but so, it was the first deal. There was, and there was a big gap between yeah. that and, and what happened next. Yeah. And September 11th, there was yeah. a, couple, a couple things that happened in there, but not, not many. Um, so but you're fairly what, new, right. and you're on the ground, and you're with some guys that, uh, that uh, are a little older than you, have a little more experience yep. than you, anybody that had been on the ground, anybody, any Vietnam guys still running around then? Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, actually, I think our squadron Sergeant Major was a Vietnam vet. Uh, yeah, there were. I don't yeah. remember everybody. I mean, I remember all of our guys. I just don't know which yeah. ones were in Vietnam. But there are a couple I'm, guys still I'm there. I'm pretty sure my SAR major had been in Vietnam. Yeah. Yep. But as you guys, guy. as you and you guys are now the young guys going into yeah. this uh, this situation, and uh, so you're fairly young. You got a couple years of experience, but this is the first real real taste of it. And uh, then you come back, and there's there's a few years before something else big goes down. Yeah. You know though. When you think about Mogadishu, and I don't, I really, really don't like when people say, was that, you know, your defining moment? I, I, I don't think it's a defining moment. I think it's, it's a step along the path yeah. to either become the warrior you want to be or find out you're not the warrior you want to be or, because you never know until the next trial by fire anyway. If you're, if you've, you can be in a gunfight and survive it. That doesn't mean you're a hero. That means... Yeah, Good Lord was looking out yeah, for you, and you made it through. So you're always looking, what's the next test? At least for me, that's even today. You know, the next hunt, yeah, the next fishing trip, the yeah, next how can I do it better? Product, project I'm going to try to tackle. So what I took away from that is, yeah, I mean, it 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 did change my outlook. Shooting techniques, uh, putting your other knee up so you got better support so you can make a shot. Smaller dots in our optics, putting our dot on a flat top. Um, always carrying your night vision goggles. You would have never went anywhere without your night vision goggles, ever. Nope. And but, a suppressor. But we kind of had to learn that. And that sounds stupid, but, but we did. Yeah. Always have like, water. Oh, it's just a day op. Well, we learned that from yep. you guys. Always have water. Always have a little mm -hmm. bit of food. Always have extra ammunition. And then always have more ammunition. And then have your buddy carry extra for you. And then leave some in the V. Don't ever think that you're going to get supported out there because... As you've seen in, in your all's command, there's been a lots of people that have come out to help you and they never made it there, which is terrible, but that's combat. You don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, we had birds getting shot down that came in, guys getting legs blown off up in helicopters that were trying to drop us, stuff. Amazing. So we had to learn all that. And I think that what's, what's upsetting to me is that when you go and talk about Korea, Go read about Korea. There's a book, um, This Kind of War, I think okay, it's called. I don't know that one. And it's it's really a it's it's a leadership book. They don't say it's okay. a leadership book, but it's a great leadership book. I think that's the name of it. It's about the Korean War. And we had to we had to relearn all of our lessons that we learned in World War II. That's not cool, man. It's not cool when the military stops 
building up and taking care of their people because we're not at war. We're kind of in that phase right now. You see the military drawing down a little bit, not so much in numbers, but now we got we got officers and enlisted guys that are not focused on the mission. They're focused on BS that we shouldn't. They're more worried about, you know, oh, make sure that you go and get this briefing than is your weapon zero. Oh, yeah. No, so, I saw that as I was getting out. And it was interesting at September 11th, things shifted. It was obviously we had one paradigm before that, one model that you were used to, and people had been used to essentially since the, well, mid-70s really, but uh, had morphed a little bit, but it was still a model that, let's say, was at least a decade, decade and a half old. And when September 11th happened, we were all in something new. It didn't matter what your rank was, yeah. whether you were an E1 yep. or you know, an 08 or whatever, and everyone in between. Everyone was in this new model, and the families were thrown into this new model too. They'd come, they'd had the last 15 years or so of expecting something different of a model, expecting deployments to be a yeah, certain yeah. way. And so now you're all in it together as this one team. So I think it was a really special time to be in. I look back on those, those years fondly because we were all a part of it. Our families, everybody of every rank was figuring this out together. And now you come in, I think, and now this model's been established. And now you come in and you have people that have been doing it for 20 years, and they're going to talk to you about, uh, about how it kind of give you the heads up on yeah, everything that's going yeah. on. So you're stepping into it now, uh, a different model. And so it's, it's interesting to me that, that, uh, that, you're, that guys are coming into this, this model and this paradigm that's been set up and been established and been going for 15 years when back at September 11th, it was totally different. It was a complete shift. And I, I, that was probably my favorite time in, in uh, the military was going through that shift and figuring it out together because we were united and we were a team. Can I tell you a quick war story? Absolutely. So, Somalia happens, and my wife is, we've been married for a long time, 33 years now. So we've been married since, I guess, basically puberty, you know what I'm yeah. saying? So, uh, 1993, guys get killed, and that process of, one, the grieving process, but two, the process of burying our mates. Mm -hmm. um, the notification process, all of that. So my wife was right there for all that to happen. She was received bad information about me. Other guys received bad oh, information, or other women received bad information about their husbands. Oh. And then she got to see that whole process of, and it wasn't all negative, because there's ladies like Trish Ryerson, who, my wife and I, we love this lady. Matt was killed a couple days after the, the, the 3 October raid. He got hit by a mortar. She's an amazing, strong woman. 20 years to the day of her of, of Matt getting killed, her son was killed as a drunk driver. Oh. Been, you know, they'd been kind of doing a thing about Matt and did over, got a little drunk. They took his keys away, put him to bed. He got up, he got his keys, oh. and they went drunk driver. So, so Trish, amazing, strong person. Stephanie Schugert, amazing, strong person. A lot of other strong people there. Some maybe not so strong. And my wife seeing all that. Sorry. No, no, it's mad. Uh, That's a tough time. Seeing, seeing what women in the church would do, bringing food. Mm -hmm. They walked in, put the food there, and they left. You know what I mean? So what's what's right and what's wrong? Yeah. Well, she figured out what was right. Yeah. You're there to support that family. Right. You're there, they're, they're gonna act ways you've never seen them act before. So we have to do the right thing, but we don't know what the right thing is yeah. to do. So she had a little bit of experience with that. And she also told me things that 
stuck in my brain. You know, like I saw this, and she's like, "Don't ever do that." Wow. Don't That's ever powerful. be the guy that comes back and this is how you act. So, wow. Fast forward 2005, I had two of my soldiers that were killed in Iraq. So my wife, she had her AAR, her hot wash in her head, and now she is the troop sergeant major's wow. wife, and she's got to help go through that process. So I'm glad you brought up what you said, like our family's going through this. You know, I, I never, the guys that were killed with me in Iraq or in, in Somalia, I never buried a single one of them. That all happened before we got back. Wow. My wife buried every one of them. Wow. So that, to me, that's powerful. So when we're out there on the battlefield, we're like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm awesome. Check me out. Dude, if you don't have a good support structure, and not just your wife, but mm -hmm. your command in the rear, your unit taking care of what needs to be taken care of, I'm telling you, man, you can't, you can't be successful on the battlefield without... I always had peace of mind because I knew my wife was, was awesome. She's going to take care of this. Wow. And there's a, there's a gazillion wives out there that have done this. Yeah. And husbands, you know, you got women that are deployed too. And, yeah. and I don't know how either one of them do it because my daughter has been deployed doing some stuff. I'm a wreck, man. I bet. I'm a total I wreck, bet. you know. So I'm glad you brought that up. The, the, the families, families are important. And for you guys that are out there watching or listening to this, I will tell you this. When you're old and somebody's got to wipe your butt, you know what I mean? You <laughs> yeah. got a dribble cup or whatever. It ain't going to be your bros. Yeah. It's going to be your family. Yeah. So we got to take care of them. And sometimes we... You know, we don't do that. I, I got yeah. I got a question for you, speaking yep. of that. So you did how many years? 20. 20 so, to wake up, I like Okay, so I did about the same, 21. Um, if, you, if, if you see a guy or a gal, they're getting out of the military, what's the one piece of it, the one piece of advice you would give them? I'd say make the life you want. That is almost, almost that simple. It seems too simple. But uh, yeah, make the life you want. That encompasses a lot, of course. But uh, yeah. This is your one shot. This is your one shot. This is your one time on this ride. And you get to choose what you're gonna do, how you're gonna influence other people, what your legacy is gonna be. Uh, if you're gonna move that ball forward, or you can watch what other people complain about what they're doing, or wonder why you didn't get a good shake, or complain about the cards yeah. that you're dealt. Yeah, everybody's dealt cards, and uh, you play them the best you can. Some people get a better hand, quote unquote better. Uh, other people don't. And you know what, Larry Ellison said something, who started Oracle, uh, he said something in an interview not long ago, and he said, they were asking him how he was so successful. Uh, he's, the, I think, the sixth richest guy in the world. And he said something like, I had all the ingredients necessary uh, for failure, or something like that. Yeah, meaning, yeah, yeah. meaning that he had to fight for it. Yeah, yeah. Like no one handed it to him. He had to decide what he was going to do and go after it. And so, so that's it. Yeah, make the life you want. That's, uh, and I guess there's another part to that, which is kind of my, my, my lifelong mantra was, uh, and I, I think it came from Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, never tell me the odds. Because uh, if you listen to the odds of either, you know, operating where you did in special operations, making it through buds, getting a book published by a big publishing house, people will tell you, oh, you know the odds of that? You know the odds of making it through buds? Oh, well, I heard it's, uh, yeah, 80% quit. For me, that's all the thought I gave it. Everything yeah. else was focused on getting in as good a shape as I possibly could be, uh, pushing myself as, as hard as I could so I would be mentally prepared. And then, same thing in publishing. Was like, it Dumb and Dumber when the guy said, so you're saying there's you're a chance? You're telling me there's a chance. That's it. That's it. About a million to one. Yeah, yeah. So you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah. I love it. Oh, yes, yeah. Yeah. there's a chance. Yeah. Uh, but you got to put in the work. 
you have to put in the work. So uh, yeah, I didn't pay much attention to those odds, but I took all that bandwidth and focused it all on getting in good shape, not just getting in good shape, because a lot of good people in great shape don't make it through these training programs, yeah. uh, but studying my history, uh, pushing myself, not just physically, but mentally in the outdoors. So I would be as, as prepared as I could possibly be and then also putting things in context and looking at them relative to what others have gone through in the past has helped me a lot in life in general, but particularly in buds, I'll use that as an example. And I thought of all those guys that stormed beaches at Normandy, that did multiple island landings in the South Pacific in World War II, and then I thought, oh, I'm just doing push-ups on the beach in Coronado, California. Yeah, and yeah, someone's yeah. kicking some sand in my face, telling me I'm worthless. Maybe I'm on the edge of hypothermia. I'm a little hungry. It's a little uncomfortable. Yeah. But you know what? I am not running into an elevated machine gun position uh, on a beach. Uh, and okay, those guys gave me the opportunity to choose what I was going to do in life. Uh, they gave me the opportunity to be here on this beach in Coronado, California, doing these push-ups, following my dream. And you know what? This isn't as bad as, yeah, I can do that two mile not yeah, yeah. I can do that. So, uh, so I thought about what people from the inception of this country up until today have done to give me the right to pursue my dream. So I think about that a lot and I'm uh, forever indebted to them. I try to talk to my kids about that a lot as well. Uh, people gave up a lot to give us the freedoms we have today. Well, yeah, and, and you talk about the opportunities and the freedoms. We, as you said, everything's possible here. Um, both my granddads came from overseas. They were immigrants coming here, one from England, one from Sweden, and they made a good life, and our parents you know, have made a good life, and now we're able to do what we're doing. And that doesn't mean it's all gonna be easy, yeah. and that doesn't mean you're gonna you know, get to eat eggs and bacon every day. Some days you might have to eat a little- you Gotta work. Yeah, eat a little something else. But, you gotta uh, put in the work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Helps to be smart. Yep. <laughs> so, so first book, Terminal List. Yep. We've got True Believer. Yep. And the upcoming Savage Sun. Savage Sun. Yep. And Savage I told Sun you about my new book coming out called Savage Son of a Gun. That's right. We're going to do it. We're going <laughs> to kick off our book tours together. That's right. Yeah, I got a, I got a, uh, I got this guy that's going to be in my book, and, and he's, uh, he actually has the same name as your protagonist. <laughs> that's um, great. It's cross marketing. So he's kind of going doing his thing, and we're hearing about what he's doing, and we're like, that's awesome. He just whacked all these dudes, and now he's on a sailboat somewhere. We don't know where he's at. He does on a, he's on a sailboat. And then they get it, you know. This rings a bell to me. Yeah, they get, a, they get a blurb like from his, he's got his, his inReach, which I guess is a, a Garmin now satellite. <laughs> yeah, right. And one of the bros gets a, I'm just making this I up. I love it. You know. I love it. You know, I think the reason, one of the reasons maybe we get along so well is because we share a similar, similar lineage. I didn't realize that. So uh, I have, my background is yeah, Welsh, Great Britain, and then uh, Denmark. So, yep. so those are the two main, the main sides. So close, you know, not quite there, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but in there, yeah. And I think what really, you know, when we say that, I, I was talking to somebody yesterday and they're from Ireland. And, and what's, what's interesting, it's the same attitude. It's those people that have immigrated here, whether it happened in the 1600s or it happened in the 1800s or the 1900s, we kind of have that, I don't know, America's awesome, man. I yeah. feel like I, I went over to see where my seven great-grandfathers came from in, in Ellendale on Tyne, which is on the Tyne River, close to Hadrian's Wall in England. Oh, wow. And I'm so glad they left. I know. They came for a reason. I mean, it's a great place. Don't get me wrong. It's awesome. They came but, for a reason. But, oh, my goodness. I love it. You know, yeah. I, I look at Middle Tennessee, where I live now, and it looks just like where oh, they wow. came from. But we got a few more trees. We don't have wooden fence or we don't have uh, stone, stone fences. Yeah. We have wooden fences or, or you know wire yeah. fences, and so 
Savage Son. Savage Son. Can you give me like just a little teaser? Yeah, yeah. So it's the book I've wanted to write since the sixth grade when I first read Most Dangerous Game by Richard Connell. So that was written in 1924. It's a short story. And it really, at the time, there was a lot of stories out there, magazine articles, that sort of thing, about people going to Africa and the hunt and all that sort of thing. And this guy, Richard Connell, flipped it around. And he had Hunter versus Hunted, but people hunting people. And the way he described it in the book to a person, to an 11-year-old in sixth grade reading it, I was enthralled. And one, I couldn't believe they were letting us read this in school. And two, I, at the time, I already knew I wanted to be a SEAL. And I already knew then, after that, I was going to write fiction. So then I decided I was going to write a book one day that paid tribute to this book, Most Dangerous Game, this novella, Most Dangerous Game, the short story that had captivated me. Uh, and so this, that's this book. And it was one of the ideas that I had written down when I put the ideas down for the first novel. But I knew the characters weren't quite developed enough to do that yet. I couldn't just jump in with this story. And it's really about the dark side of man. So the first So it's book, the same hero. Yep. Yeah. I call him a hero because he's doing all kinds yep. of cool stuff. And I like that he's, he's not quite, you know, he's a normal dude. That's what I wanted he's to do. He's put in these crazy circumstances. Yeah. And I wanted to have somebody that had the background to be able to do it, these things, to make it believable, but also not be so great at everything. But more important than that, I wanted him to be somebody that you'd want to sit down and have a beer with, that you'd want to have a conversation with, that Cup is likable. with honey. <laughs> Exactly. He doesn't have his coffee black like most protagonists in the uh, in this genre. He has his coffee like I like mine, which is a little bit of honey and some cream. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I wanted him to be approachable, likable, somebody you want to have a beer with, so that as a reader, uh, you'd connect with him and you'd care about what happens to him next, and you'd be along for the journey. Hopefully, not just through that one book, but through multiple books. I, I think it was Sean Davis I was talking to, and he said I got to the part in the book where he's tracking these. Uh, um, dudes in Africa, yeah. the, the poachers. Oh yeah, and he goes, I just wanted the rest of the book to be that. <laughs> he told you me that last I mean? night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I went to Mozambique and did a did a hunt over there as research right after I got out of the military. And, research. Uh, yeah. So anybody in the IRS <laughs> that's uh, listening to this, uh, but yeah, I did my Cape Buffalo hunt over there and did it old school, double rifle, no optic. Wanted to do it the same way you would have done it uh, 100 yeah, yeah. years ago. And it was an ama- I couldn't have written it better. It was just, it, it was an absolutely incredible experience. But while I was there, I'm doing research and I'm talking to them about uh, the poaching issue over there. Yeah. I'm talking to them about Chinese influence, both illegal and legal. Um, the meat poaching that supports the people working in these mines, like all of that. And they, they could not wait to tell me their story. Talked about their country, talked about that transition that they've been through over the last 30, 40 years. And uh, I thought the same would be true for the research that I did for Savage Sun. So for that, I went to Kamchatka. Peninsula, Russia, uh, did a brown bear hunt over there. And over there it was different. They did not, I started asking questions, thinking it was going to be just like Mozambique, uh, yeah. or I did some stuff in South Africa, yeah, yeah. training up an anti-poaching unit after that, and same thing. They wanted to tell the story of their country. Russia, a little different. I think because for most of their history, if someone was asking you pointed questions as a Russian, it was not a good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Off to the gulag yeah, you go. Yeah. So they were, uh, they Perhaps were. Perhaps just no, <laughs> this will not be good. I will not answer this question. Yeah, they were very suspicious. And that was a surprise to me because yeah. I was like, oh, of course they're going to want to talk yeah. to me. Why wouldn't they? And I'm asking military stuff because of the genre in which I write. So I'm asking military stuff. I'm asking kind of spy stuff yeah, yeah. and KGB stuff and GRU stuff yeah. and SVR stuff. And, uh, but anyway, they, they warmed up to me eventually. And a lot of that made it into the pages of Savage Sun. Guys have asked me, I've let them read little snippets of, of that fiction I'm working at, and they're like, dude, you wrote this as though it's happened, and I'm like... You could. Well, maybe it already has, and we've twisted it, so now we're, like for my my book, we're fighting on U.S. soil. Yep. And uh, 
Man, I love it. I just love it. Well, hey, I got to go yes. to another gig here. Yes. Uh, it's, awesome. It's an Thank honor you so much. To, uh, to be able to call you a, a buddy. Dude, it's an but, honor. But, it's uh, an honor on my part. The other part, thing man. is, I don't want to be the super fanboy, but I'm a fanboy. Oh, um, come on. So it works both ways. You're, I want you to say this to the camera that we're videoing with now, that you will send me Savage Sun. Oh, yeah gallery copy. I don't even need to do that because it's uh, it's already in the works. Gallery <laughs> copy is going to be inbound as soon as they're printed. Yep, first one heading your way. Uh, any any other shout outs? Anybody? Just, Sig for letting us do this. I thank appreciate you. Yeah, that. Everybody at Sig has been so great. Obviously, for me, I carried that P226 on my hip for every single deployment. So I have a soft spot in my heart for that particular weapon. But what an amazing company. And they're doing some great things, pushing the boundaries and being, they've been so great to me. So uh, yeah, love these guys. So check out Danger Close. You get to listen to this guy tell you some cool stuff. It's not all about writing. It's about kind of everything that yep. we do and everything that we like. We like sharp pointy sticks that's right that we shoot through the air we like sharp knives oh, we yeah. like guns that shoot well and coffee and all the <laughs> other good things in life so uh, and cream <laughs> also check out team vtac podcast and thank you so much for listening and jack it's Thanks, an brother. honor i appreciate thank you so it. much and last but not least god bless america absolutely god bless america welcome to the gear highlight portion of the danger close podcast my guest today was kyle lamb legend in the special operations community Dear friend, awesome guy, one of my favorite people, but he spent 20 years in the, over 20 years in the Army, uh, 15 of that at First Special Forces Operational Detachment Delta, better known as Delta Force. And now he has Viking tactics. So if you can 100% put at the top of your list, getting on the range to train with Kyle, uh, you can do the SIG Academy. To, to do that, um, or get online, check out what Kyle has going on at vikingtactics.com. Check out his schedule and everything that he has going on there. Also on vikingtactics.com, you can check out his line of VTAC slings. Now, I've been using these VTAC slings. We talked about it in the podcast, um, gosh, for well over a decade, like 15 years maybe now. Um, but as soon as I found out about these, probably in 2007, I want to say, uh, maybe 2008, somewhere in there anyway, um, uh, I started using them and have been using the bike, the VTAC sling ever since. So, so there's a bunch of them on the website, a bunch of different attachments, depending on how you want to set yours up. Uh, this is an era three rifle. I don't think they make it anymore. I just grabbed it really quick for the podcast because it was close by uh, and had the VTAC sling on it. But all my ARs have a VTAC sling on it, have some sort of an optic uh, light backup irons. Um, so I think that's what you really need for an AR if you're going to do anything to an AR. If you have one, uh, probably a red dot. This is the Aimpoint Micro right here, but probably red dot, backup sights, a light, and a sling. That's probably uh, the basics that you want to put on your AR. So anyway, this is the uh, VTAC sling. Awesome. If you're not running one, I uh, highly recommend you check out bikingtactics.com. Go to the drop down hit slings and check out the VTAC slings. There's a bunch of options these days. So um, very cool. So Awesome VTAC slings. What else Kyle have going on? He is making knives these days and he's forging some on his own. So I want to get out there to, to see him and actually do a little, little forging and see what he has going on there. But he's also got a line of knives. I think this is the original. This is the Patriot. And Kyle gave this to me. Um, so awesome. Uh, at, uh, at the NRA meeting a couple of years ago. So uh, right there, Patriot, really sweet blade. Check out, I think he's got four or five of these out now. So go check those out. Also vikingtactics.com. So Kyle, thank you so much for that. And 
check out Kyle's books. Leadership in the Shadows right here. Uh, leadership lessons, lessons from his time in the military and uh, training law enforcement. Uh, awesome leadership in the shadows right there. Uh, and if you get a chance to hear Kyle speak at some point, definitely do that as well. You can hit the leadership portion of his website to, uh, to check out what he has going on there. Green Eyes and Black Rifles, classic right here. If you don't have this book, you can change that today. Definitely check that out and stay in the fight combat pistol. So awesome. Check out what Kyle has going on and I'll get him back on this podcast as soon as I can. Thank you for tuning into the Danger Close podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Six Hour. Find out more about Kyle Lamb, go to vikingtactics.com. Follow him on all the social channels, Viking Tactics. Get in a class with Kyle on the road or at the SIG Academy. Just get his books, check out everything he has going on. Listen to his podcast, uh, Team VTAC Podcast. Just such an amazing guy. I'm so humbled and honored to, to call him a friend. And we were supposed to get out hunting together a couple of weeks ago, but uh, of course I had to finish book five. So that, uh, that didn't happen, but we'll get out there together soon. And we'll also do another podcast together soon. Uh, yeah, last time we met up, he showed up at my house, surprised me, uh, which was awesome. So we got to hang out a little bit. You can scroll down in my Instagram to, uh, to see the video of Kyle surprising me at the house. And that's at Jack Carr USA on those social channels. You can also go to officialjackcar.com. Check out everything that I have going on there. You can pre-order in the blood. We have also the devil's hand coming out in paperback on November 30th, but be sure and pre-order in the blood. And that's coming out in May of 2022. You can also link to jetcarusa.com. That's where all the merch is. And uh, if you like the books, the podcast, any of that, please leave a five-star rating and review for books and the podcast. That helps a ton and is sincerely appreciated. So until the next time, take care out there, be safe, keep fighting. In case you missed it, on a recent episode of Danger Close, an Ironclad original, Jack Carr sat down with former presidential candidate Tulsi Gabbard. Set aside all the labels, mm. you know, oh, well, because I've been getting asked this a lot, like, well, are you left or are you right? Are you progressive or are you conservative? What are box you, do you fit in? Which exactly, box do you check? Completely. Are you an enemy exactly. or <laughs> right. Right. An How, uh, Like, what filter should I use when I'm looking at you? And, like, I've always been an independent-minded person. Mm. Always. Be sure to check out the full interview wherever you get your podcasts.